So this morning, uh, we're not going to stand and read at the very first. I'm going to just uh, get us going right away, and we're going to talk about being the church uh, right on the top of your sheet that I hope you picked up as you were coming in today. Those are always available. Uh, there is uh, this Bible verse right at the top, and it says, uh, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And if you read the whole passage, it's talking about glory to God. Uh, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So we're gathered together in this place with the desire of being the church, one of the churches that faithfully gives God glory, a church that makes God look good. When we talk about giving God glory a, in a very real way, we're talking about making God look good. We don't want to say one thing and do another. We don't want to make professions that we're, that we're believers and then live like we're not. No, we want to make him look good. So I don't know about you, but I want everybody around us to take a look at our church and say, hey, look at those people. They love each other, they help each other, they support each other, they serve each other, and together they even serve other people too. Their word is their bond, their message is consistent, they love God, they love people, and they love telling the truth. Their God is wonderful if knowing him means living like that. Boy, that's the kind of testimony I want as a church. I want to be a church that people look at and say, wow, their God is wonderful. And, uh, and they live in such a way that proves it. So that, that is just fantastic. So uh, listen to this. You know, God is really concerned about his own glory. If you've read through the Old Testament at all, it talks about that over and over and over. And even in the New Testament, the verse we just read, it's about the glory of God. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another. God's not just a glory hound. He just knows if we get the glory, we can't handle it. We don't know how to behave if we get glorified. And so God says, I want the glory. Now he's displayed his glory in many ways. He displayed his, he displays his glory in nature. For instance, Psalm 19, one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Every sunrise and sunset and everything that happens in between, God is doing. God displayed his glory in a measure in mankind itself. Psalm 8, 5, you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. God did something else. He displayed his glory in Israel, the nation Israel. Is, uh, Isaiah 46, 13, I bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. He glorified himself in the nation of Israel, mainly through bringing Jesus Christ through that nation. God displayed glory in his son, Jesus Christ. First John, or excuse me, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his what? His glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So what I want to focus on today, I want to focus on this idea of the church being the glory location. The church is where God is seeking his glory. That, three, that uh, chapter 3 and verse 21 that we started with, to him, the Father, be glory in the church. That's what God is looking for. So what is this all about? What is the church all about? Well, is it a refuge? Yes. Uh, are churches repositories of the truth? Are they the place where believers find significance and connect? Uh, 
Are they places to find that sense of belonging? Are they training grounds for followers of Jesus to learn to make more followers of Jesus? Are they safe places for kids and teens and families? Well, they're all of that, but they're more. In this age, the church age, the church with a capital C, that is the church universal. Everybody that names the name of Jesus is supposed to be the place where God is glorified. And then in addition, the churches, that is the church with a lowercase c. That, those churches like this one, these are the open visible expressions of the invisible church that exists all over the world. So we have a mission statement right outside that door. If you turn, go out the door and turn around and look up, you can see a mission statement and it starts like this. We exist to glorify God. Now it goes on to talks about how we do it by making disciples of Jesus here and there, but we exist for the glory of God. We exist to make him look good. We exist to point to him, not to point to ourselves, not to point to our staff, not to point to our program. No, no, we exist for the glory of God. Can I get an amen? It's about the glory of God, not the glory of people. This is so very important. Now, we're gonna finish up the series by design. And uh, we've been talking about some things. We've been looking at God's design and purpose for various things. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to help us as we wind it up looking at the purpose and what God is trying to do and how a church is supposed to give God the glory. Our Father, thank you for the gathering of your saints here today. Thank you for every person that is present in the room. I thank you uh, that we uh, have a common older brother, Jesus Christ, that we have a common father, the heavenly father. Thank you that we have a common destiny. Thank you that we have a common book. We have so much in common because we have received the good news of the gospel. Now I pray, Father, that you would weld us together into being that, that unit that unity that magnifies and glorifies your name and help us now as we look at this this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Now we discovered that God had a design, has a design for humanity. Uh, we were made as male and female, as image bearers of God's glory, and we were to have dominion, and we were co-regents with him over his creation. That was week number one. Pastor Matt did a masterful job at emphasizing that it is God's intent that we recognize and celebrate our masculinity and femininity, and that we not allow the changing cultural currents to blur the lines of the truth. That was week one. Week two, we talked about God has a design for marriage. God loves people and he loves marriage. Marriage is God's best picture of the loving relationship that Christ has for his church. We see in marriage the sacrificial love that led him to lay down his life for his bride, the church. So folks, men marry women and together they become one flesh for posterity, that is bearing children, and for oneness. And I won't re-preach it, we've already talked about it. Then last week, God has a design for families. Families are the basic building block of civilization and the first form of societal order that God ordained, even before governments. The family is the primary place for making disciples. I have to believe that the discipling of my wife and children are my primary responsibility, no matter what else God gives me to do. Families have structure. Parents obey God. Children obey parents. And parents are to be firm but not provoke their children with harshness. 
Everyone does it better when they are yielding to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And Spirit filling is so important. So we come to this week. It leads us to this logical thought. God puts children into families so that they can be nurtured, trained, and to mature for life. God also puts newborn believers into families for the same reason. New believers are born into the family of God and they are urgent. They urgently need to be part of the local gathering, part of a church. I will add, all believers need that for continuing growth. So here's what we understand. Local churches are good for believers. Local churches are the outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again clearly. Local churches are the outpost of the kingdom of heaven. Where does mankind on earth need to look to see what heaven is going to be like and how the order is and how things operate? They look to the local church. It's the outpost of the kingdom of heaven. The local church is where people can look on earth to get a glimpse of God's glorious heaven. You might say it another way. Local churches are like embassies of our eternal home. This is the embassy. We are the ambassadors and this is the way we're supposed to live. Now, I'm going to end up at our main passage. I'm going to dock the boat, so to speak, at our main passage. But here's some Bible truths regarding the church that are crucial. You've got a sheet, write them down. Number one, the church is a dwelling place for God. This church, the assembly, is a dwelling place for God. Take your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse number 19. The words will be up on the screen, but I like to hear the pages flip, or I like to hear the little electronic dings going on, so that'd be cool too. So uh, chapter 2, verse 19, listen to the Word of God. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Notice the definite article in every case, a building, a temple, a holy dwelling place for God, the holy dwelling place for God. So this is the way it is. No, here's what we do. We tend to think of our relationship with Jesus as personal. We emphasize it. When we baptize folks up here in this baptistry from time to time, we will ask, now, are you confident of a personal and individual relationship with Jesus Christ? And of course, it's crucial. Uh, it has to be. We, it is very important. We are saved and sanctified folks individually. There is, listen to this now, please listen. There is no household salvation, no group salvation, no cultural salvation, or no national salvation salvation. No such thing. It doesn't exist. The only kind of salvation is individual and personal salvation. The Bible says wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It's not a limitation on how many can come. It's just saying you come to him one person at a time. That's how we come to Christ. So important. I hate to break this to you folks, but the United States of America has never been a Christian nation. Never has it been a Christian nation. There's no such thing as household or national salvation. There was a wonderful period when there were many more believers than there are today, but salvation is personal. It is not national. 
But our birth into God's family is not supposed to be private, personal, individual, and exclusive. Our individual bodies, now make sure this is a little bit of teaching here. Individual body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This right here. That's one of the reasons I ought to behave myself. I ought to take care of my body and so on. I could go on with that. 1 Corinthians 3.16, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 says that, that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that means I'm to glorify God in my body which belongs to him. But the passage we are reading there in chapter 2, 19 and following, the passage that we are reading uh, and indeed many passages in the New Testament are not spoken to us in an individual sense. They are spoken to us in a community sense, in a group sense, or better yet, as an assembly of believers or a church. They're speaking to a church. That's what's going on in Ephesians chapter 2. Now listen, let's follow along. This is what we need to see. Uh, the, the words are used, the household of God in Ephesians 2.19. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are the building for God. That's 2.21, in whom the whole building being fitted together. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 21 again, into a holy temple for God. A holy temple, the household, the building, a holy temple grows into the holy temple of the Lord. And a dwelling place for God. God. That's chapter 2, verse 22. It says, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A dwelling place for God in the Spirit. But that's not just individually. That's you are being built and welded together for a dwelling place of God. Now, I like to call church, I like to call the church the habitation of the holy, uh, the holy God. Uh, I'm not denying that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. To do so would be to deny the scriptures. Roman 8 9 says that if the Holy Spirit is absent in any individual person, there's no spiritual activity on account of the Holy Spirit, then they're not saved. You're not a believer if there's no Holy Spirit presence and activity in your life. That's Romans chapter 8 verse 9. But when believers gather, please pay attention, when believers gather, God is present in each and among all, write that down. That's not on your notes. You need that. God is present in each. How many of you are believers in the Lord Jesus? Raise your hand and say amen. amen. All right, then he is present in each and among all. It's so important for us to get this. We are not to forsake the assembly of the church, not just for what we miss out on, but for the fact that God is present we know this is true. Now, I don't want to make uh, this a high church situation where we come in in silence and we go to our seats with reverence and we don't greet anyone at all. But here is the truth. We need to recognize that God, the Father, is here and he is seeking glory in his church. This is important. God, the Father, is here. Jesus is here. Revelation chapter 1 through three tell us that he runs a constant inspection on his church. He's beside you, in front of you, he's behind you, he's walking up down the aisles and down the pews, he's checking out our thoughts, our motives and the intents of our heart. Jesus is always present in his churches. Just read those seven letters and you'll find out that's true. But the Father is here, the Spirit is dwelling within us and this is therefore, make sure you get this, this is a holy place. There's not anything holy about that pew. 
There's not anything holy about this carpet. There's not anything holy about these lights. Not anything holy about the atmosphere and the building. No, no, no. But, but, but when the church comes together, this is holy ground. I want to sing that old song. We're standing on holy ground. And everywhere the believer is, is holy. But when we come together, it's a very special thing. We're holy, sanctified people. We should live like it. We should long to be the church. We should long to be at the church. We should long to worship because God, God is to be worshiped. He's to be heard, loved, praised, understood, and obeyed. And we are here to help each other do that. This is the place where God is pleased to dwell. Revelation chapter 21, 3 says God's going to dwell in the church. Or he's going to dwell in the new Jerusalem in and among his people. But in a very beautiful way, he dwells with us. The congregation is important. Second thing is, is the church is also the bride of Christ. It's the habitation of the holy. It is the dwelling place of God. And number two, it is the bride of Christ. We, this is well-covered ground. I just preached two weeks ago on this, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 and verse 32. Uh, we do need to see that the church, though, is one bride. It is the bride, one bride. That means that we are together, get this, together we are the object of Christ's sacrifice, devotion, love, and longing. He longs for us. Listen to a couple of verses on this. You can scratch down the references if you would like to. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul writing the Corinthian church. And he says, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Revelation 19, 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus, the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Revelation 21, 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and he talked with me and he said, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now folks, we are not individually the bride of Christ. Jesus doesn't have brides. Jesus has a bride, and it is the church. It is the local New Testament church. Um, we are together with all the saints, the bride of Christ. This, once again, this means that we are together, all of us are the object of Christ's sacrifice, his devotion, his love, and his longing. Jesus is longing for his bride. I can imagine the conversations that go on in heaven between the Father and the Son with the Spirit, as the Bible says, hovering. I could just see uh, what's going on, and that Jesus says to the Father, "Is this the day? Am I going to get my? Am I going to get my bride today? Or in the next day? Is this? The, am I going? Is, is this the day we blow the trumpet? Is this the day the archangel is going to shout? Is this the day? And I can just imagine those conversations. Why? Because he wants to come. We know he planned the place for us. John chapter 14, verse 1 and following, he has gone to prepare a place for us. And he said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, you can be also. And so he is going to bring us to be with him. Now, folks, I don't travel near as much as I used to. But in a few weeks, I'm, Brother Marty's got me going to Panama with him to a team to go see our missionaries um, clip. 
And Mary setteth down there in Panama City. And, uh, and so in preparation for that, they want me to preach in Spanish. Well, it's been a while since I preached in Spanish. And so uh, I have uh, downloaded on my little iPhone, downloaded a copy of the Spanish Bible. And I have been on my walks and driving back and forth to church. And I've been listening to Spanish and so on. Estoy convencido que cuando yo llego ahí voy a, voy a poder hablar en español sin problema. Amen. In other words, I think I'm getting back into it. I'm all the way up to Deuteronomy chapter 17 now, and I just started just the other day. So I've been listening, listening, so I think I'm going to be able to do that. But I watch this. Now, it's going to be fun when I get there. Uh, I'm going to meet new people, see new places. I'm going to see the Panama Canal. I've always wanted to see that. I'm going to preach in Spanish, and I trust that the Lord will use it and bring some people to faith. But I've got to tell you something. I, I'm going to miss Bonnie every minute that I'm gone. I've got a bride too, you see, and, and I'm going to miss her. I'll especially miss her when it gets quiet because we talk. We do. We just, we talk. We talk in the morning and we talk late at night and we just talk. I mean, we sometimes shut off the TV and just look at each other and talk. We like to talk. We like to fellowship. We studied recently the In My Father's House. Uh, Jesus says, I'm in my father's house or mansions and I'm coming to get you. And I think, I think Jesus wants to have conversations with us. Uh, when I'm there, I'm probably going to call Bonnie when I'm in Panama down there. It's not the same, but it's good. And somebody said you can do FaceTime. Well, if I can figure that out, I might do that. But um, you know what? God dwells with us corporately, and Jesus spends time with his bride in a very different way. And I want you to get this. Jesus spends time with his bride in a very different way when we're congregated, when we are assembled, when the church is gathered. Because the individuals come together to form one body and we are the bride and Jesus interacts with us. It is a privilege to be with Jesus. Amen. It's a privilege to be his bride. I just want to tell you something this morning. He cherishes us. I cherish my bride. He cherishes us far more than I can ever imagine. Because he laid down his life for us. He died for us. He cleansed us with the washing of the water of the word. He made us to be born again through the washing of the water of the word and he's made us his own and he's been cleaning us up and getting us ready for himself. There's going to be a beautiful wedding one day and it's going to be the bride, the bride, not brides. It's going to be the church. Finally, the church is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. This is where uh, um, all of a sudden, Giorgio, this is where Giorgio comes in. He read this verse and quoted it a minute ago and he talked about just learning about it. This is just so cool. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Listen to the words as I read it. It says, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And listen to these words, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Theologians have written books, multiple books, even series of books just on that phrase. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And this metaphor that is most often used speaks of Christ and his church. The verses that I just read there, those two verses are full of powerful theology. But let me briefly say this. That in some magnificent yet mysterious way, the church is not only filled with the person of Christ because he fills the heavens and everything. We're not just filled with the person of Christ, but Christ is also fulfilled by his church. William Hendrickson wrote this, as bridegroom, he is incomplete without the bride. 
as vine, he cannot be thought of without the branches. As shepherd, he is not seen without his sheep. And so also as the head, he finds full expression in his body, the church. I do not understand that, that there could be anything lacking in Christ. And I don't suggest that the Godhead had anything lacking when they created heaven and earth because they were totally, they were totally happy and satisfied within the community of the Trinity. However, the Bible teaches that in some mysterious way, Jesus is fulfilled in his church in the universal church and in the local New Testament churches, he is fulfilled in our gatherings. Do you think it's important to go to church, yes or no? Yes. There's something going on here this morning that is more than us coming here to get what I need. There's something more than just showing up here just to meet a few people. There's something more than just, and all of those are important. I said that at the beginning of the sermon. But when we come together, when this body assembles, there is a fulfilling purpose for Jesus himself. And he just, it's as if he's sitting with his bride. This is important. A lot of moms are sending kids off to college for the first time right now, and it can be tough. Um, Bonnie and I had kids. We sent away 3,500 miles to go to college, and I can tell you that was tough. They will put out, uh, they will, I can tell you what the mom will do. After the son or daughter has gone off, they get settled in. They'll wander down, by, down the hallway by their room, look inside, and they'll see it clean for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and they'll say, they won't say glory to God. They'll tear will come to their eye because they miss them. It'll come supper time and it'll be time to put out the plates on the table and just unconsciously they'll put out one too many plates because somebody's missing. It's just, you know, when somebody's missing and then on the other hand, when people go through the pain of losing somebody in death, it takes a while, doesn't it? Because somebody is missing, especially if it's your bride or if it's your husband. Somebody's, well, you know what? There's something missing when the church isn't gathered. Something is not right when the bride is not complete. I want to read the main passage very quickly. Let's just stand and I'll read uh, just to save time this morning. We want to read this uh, just myself. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. I preached on the passage not long ago, but this is a total different application. Make sure you're listening. It says in chapter 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For how long? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, look at these words, of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edification of itself in love." Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Ah, this is huge. 
This is so important. I've preached this passage many times and we refer to it often. Here's a summary. God has given gifts to the local church. I'm not talking about the gifts that he gives to each individual. I'm talking about the gifts that he gives the local church. What are those? Well, in the passage, it was apostles and it was pastors and teachers and preachers and evangelists. They were people. The church was blessed with gifted people. Well, we're no different. We have a church with pastors and we have a church with elders. And we have a church with people with a gift of teaching. And so we're here to teach, to demonstrate, and to equip people. God intends for those gifted people to help the members discover and employ their spiritual gifts and even natural talents for the building up of the body, the church. God intends, this is all in this passage, God intends for the gifted leaders to instruct the people in the truth of God's word so that they are not easily deceived or sidetracked by false teachers. We fail as a church if we don't teach the truth to the point that we can hear the lie and identify it, hear the false teaching and identify it. And so we preach the word. God intends for every person to do their part. He places people in his body so the ministry can move forward. Believers can be built up. Souls can be saved and the body can grow. Can grow. Amen, you say. So what's the big deal? Look at verse 13. Look at verse number 13. 413, till we all come to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To a perfect man. The perfect man. What? Nobody is perfect. We know that's true. No individual is perfect. And there was only one person who was ever perfect. Who was that? So it can't be saying that you can become perfect. Mark Douglas is my friend down here. A great guy, good character, works hard, loves his family. But he ain't perfect. Are you perfect? Okay. Steve Miller, my compadre. He's, we're fathers together of the same family. They got united in marriage. Are you perfect, Steve? No, Judy? Could you second the motion? Okay, so he's not perfect. So no perfect individual. It cannot be teaching the eradication of the sinful nature. It cannot be teaching that we can get to the place. Listen, I have not converted to be a Nazarene this morning and believe in the second blessing and and, and believe in eradication of the sinful. I, I have not. I'm telling you that this is teaching something different. Make sure you understand this. So here's what we have. We have a dwelling place of God, the local church. We have a bride for Christ, all the redeemed of all times, those who assemble in the local church as well. And then we have this. We have a perfect man. Here's what it's speaking of. It's speaking of a fully developed, fully functioning, mature man. No individual believer practices all spiritual gifts. No individual believer. But I have a question for you. Does Grace Church need all the spiritual gifts? Does it? Well, you sort of him hawing around. No, nah, we don't need compassion. We don't need compassion, do we? <laughs> that helps. Who cares about it? We just need somebody to do. No, no, no. Do we need all spiritual gifts? Yes or no? Yes. Right, there's a good answer. You can participate when I ask you a question. That's good. Here we go. Now watch. No individual believer practices all spiritual gifts, yet the church needs every gift. When each one offers his or her gift to the body, the head, then Jesus, the head, has a fully functioning body to work with. Folks, we need to grow up into the head and make sure that Jesus is not working with half a body. 
that he's not working with a missing leg, a missing hand, an arm, a withered this or that, or missing an eye or an ear or a tongue, or you just get the picture. You, we don't, we don't, that is what Jesus wants is a mature, complete, fully functioning body. I mean, I could diminish the value of my little toe, but I'm sure if I didn't have my little toe on my left foot, that would start to be a problem. And if I didn't have this hand, I'm right-handed, learning to eat left-handed, right, I can't write right-handed, much less learn to write left-handed. I mean, just think about all, think of what it would do to me if things were missing. So, this is very practical. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, and as the head of this church, he needs your ability, your capability, he needs your talent, he needs your spiritual gift, he, he needs you. It's not just about coming for the fellowship. It's not just about coming for the cup of coffee, the slap on the back, and the what's happening, and who won the ball game, and we'll see you again next time. No, 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 it's not about that. It's not just about the refuge for the children. It's not just, I mean, those are all wonderful side benefits, but that's not what it's about. It's about the glory of God, and the only way God's going to be glorified is when this church or any church under the headship of Christ has all of its parts fully functioning. And I just want you to look around right now. Just look at all your brothers and sisters in Christ that are in this room. Just look everywhere. Just look. You're looking at me. Look at them. Look around. Look around all these people. We got young people. We got old people, new Christians, older Christians. We got bald-headed Christians. I mean, we just got all, we got all kinds of, here we are. We're all in the room together. And I'm here to tell you that God is building his church and there's not an insignificant person in the crowd. There's not one person that doesn't matter because every part needs to share and do its part and put it all together so that we're one perfect man Jesus Christ being the head. So we got the dwelling place for God. It's the habitation of the holy. We have the bride of Christ and we have the perfect, complete, mature, fully functioning man. I have a question. What would happen if every single believer offered their gift to the best of the Holy Spirit's enabling power to the body of Christ here at Grace Church? What would happen? We'd never run out of mission offerings because of the gift of giving. We'd never run short on children's workers like they need in Iwana right now because of the gift of teaching and the gift of care. We'd never miss a hospital visit no one would ever do without because the gifts of compassion and helps would be abundant. And on and on and on I could go. Let me challenge you this morning with seven challenges. This is it. I'm done. Seven challenges. Number one, commit to the local church. Jesus committed himself to the universal and local church. Jesus committed to the, to the limit. He died for the local church. It's so important. He committed. So commit to the local church. How do I commit? Join it. Put down roots and bear fruit. Don't be, a, don't be a hummingbird sort of a Christian. Just zipping from here to there to suck the sweet out of whatever place you want to. If, listen, if you're a hummingbird just sucking the sweet, then you, have, you, you just don't light your feet long anywhere. You're not going to make, listen, you're not going to make a difference. Plant yourself. Join it. I'm, I'm right up to here with people saying, I just don't believe in the organized church. Do you believe in the disorganized church? I don't believe in any of those commitments. Well, it's interesting that when you're in trouble, you like the church to commit to you. Commit. Join it. Talk to Pastor Matt and say, yep, when's the next meeting? I'm coming. Join it. Next, engage with the local church. Attend it. Come. 
You say, well, what if, I, what if I'm sick? Don't come sick. Stay home. Watch it on live stream. Come. So I go on vacation. That's right. But sometimes vacations start the 1st of June. Don't pick up again until September. Go on a vacation. But otherwise, come. Attend. It's not just to come to get. It's to come to participate, to fellowship, to engage, to know what's going on, to care, to love, and to together be the full body. Enjoy the local church. Enjoy it. Fellowship with it because it's your eternal family. Next, give your best to the local church. That is your spiritual gift and talent. Discover it. Go on the app. I keep talking about the app. Go on the app and find the spiritual gift survey. It's there somewhere. Ask Matt. He'll tell you where it is or Michael. But go on there and find the spiritual gift survey and fill that out. If you've already filled that out, then don't wait. See one of us. See an elder. See Denise. <laughs> See one of the pastors. Talk to somebody. There's, there's places that you can give your service to the Lord. And so enjoy the local church. Give your best to the local church. Next, support the local church. Say, Pastor Phil, what are you talking about? Give some money. You say, Pastor, you never really preach about money. Well, I'm just coming. I'm coming full circle today. I'm telling everything. Give all right, now he's going to give us the sermon on the tithe. No, I'm not. I, we don't live in the Old Testament. This isn't Israel, and we're not supporting the government with our tithing. But I personally, out of grace, believe that the tithe is a great place to start, and that's where I start. But give according to grace. Give according to the way God has prospered you. Give regularly. Give on purpose. Don't just throw a 20 because, well, it was pretty good today. No, 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 don't. Support it because missionaries are all over the world. They're dependent on us to continue to support them. And we got youth groups that are going to Adele to do work. And we got them going to California and Southern California. And we've got all kinds of material and equipment. We got Awanas going on and on and on. It goes. Give. Support it. What else? Build your local church. A couple of years ago, we talked about inviting, investing, and including people. So here's a good opportunity. <laughs> Wednesday night, you will never have an easier invite to get people on the property than Wednesday night. And so, man, just use, you know, there's a Facebook spot, forward it to somebody, link it to something. Talk to people personally, invite people. That's just Wednesday night. But in any event, build your local church. And then finally, glorify God in your local church. How do I do that? Be holy. Let's see. I think I know a Bible verse on that. I memorized it as a little child. Be holy for I am, says the Lord of hosts. Be holy. Well, we don't like that in 2020, 2023. Is that what we're in? We don't like that kind of talk. Be holy. What does that mean? I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be, I don't want to be out of step. Be holy. You're in your word of God in Ephesians chapter four. Just look to chapter five and let me read a few verses. Ephesians five, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Be like your father. Walk in love as Christ has also loved and given himself for us an offering of sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, 
unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Holiness. The Bible says without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. Be holy. You say, what's wrong with the church in America? Lack of holiness. We're supposed to, we're never going to be sinless, but we can certainly beg the Spirit of God to help us sin less. Holiness. Quit celebrating the grace of God by indulgence. Don't assume that the grace of God is some sort of permission slip to do anything you want to. Because the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness in this wicked world, Titus 2.11. Do you understand? It's not a permission slip. Now, nobody's going to be perfect. We've already talked about that. But that's not a permission slip to do anything you want. Holiness. See, it really gets quiet. These guys are on the platform. You notice? Holiness. You, Pastor Phil, are you holy? <laughs> I wish I was holy. But I'm separated unto God to be holy. Are you? If you're a believer, it's intended that we walk in holy. You say, Pastor Phil, what do I do about it? I've been doing some things and saying some things and looking at some things and behaving in certain. What do I need to do about it? One simple word. Repent. Oh, it's an unpreached message in this world today. Repentance. You say, what is repentance? Well, I'm guilty. I did it. I confess. It's been terrible. I've been going this way, but I'm done. I'm going this way. Repentance. It's not okay, folks, to live in fornication. It's not okay to live in lies. It is not okay to live in pornography, men. It is not okay to live in indulgence. It's not okay to live in, live in, live in drunkenness. It is not okay. He said, don't let it even be named among you. Why? Because we want to glorify God. Very difficult to glorify God if we look and act like we don't know him. Repentance. That's enough. I'm done. Commit, engage, enjoy, give, support, build. You didn't expect that one. Glorify through holiness. 